Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at cryptocurrency and I'm talking to Tanisha Crow, founder of Female Crypto Club. Tanisha spent 10 years in finance and is a qualified accountant and accredited financial coach. She educates women on cryptocurrency, NFTs and the metaverse, teaching them how to begin investing with the tools and strategies to make confident investing decisions. Having noticed the majority of content around crypto was directed at men, she set about giving women the same opportunity in a safe and friendly environment to learn and grow. This is something I'm really interested in and just off mic I was saying to Tanisha, I'm trying to work out where to go because my, I have a bit of um, crypto knowledge, probably not as much as I think, and I am absolutely flummoxed by NFTs, so we'll kind of wiggle through and get there. But before we start, I always like to begin with three fun questions. I mean, I don't know if they're fun if you're at the receiving end, but anyway, <laughs> um, how are you really? What star sign are you and what's your favourite crisp? Okay, so how am I really? I, I'm, I'm good. I'm really good. I think um, one thing that I definitely was feeling recently is that going self-employed and starting my own business is way, way, way harder than I pictured it in my head. And I thought it was going to be a lot more smooth sailing. I thought, yeah, things are just going to fall into place. Um, But it definitely hasn't been like that at all. But I'm glad that I'm keeping going. And it's really nice to talk to you today. So yeah. Uh, In terms of my star sign, I am an Aquarius. I'm not sure what that says about me. But yes, I am an Aquarius. Mm. And my favorite crisp flavor. Oh, I really like, have you ever had bugles? Yes. The little one shaped like the horn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Great, that's a niche a niche answer. I like it. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to go back on some of the things you just said. Being self-employed is really hard work because actually you're doing you're not really doing so much of the bit that you thought you were doing, and you're doing mm. so much of all the other other, you know, the IT, the PR, Everything. the admin, you know. If you've ever worked in any kind of more corporate culture where you have access to all the people who can help you with all those <laughs> things, it's a shock. But yeah, and you know, you have to just hold your nerve because I think for me, I occasionally just have to remind myself of the reasons that I've made this Mm -hmm. choice. And yeah, there there are them. It's it's freedom and also building something for yourself, but it's definitely not to be underestimated. Definitely, definitely. I'm learning, I'm learning, but it's it's good. You do learn a lot about yourself, as cliche as that sounds. I think you do, you really do. Yeah, you are the master of your own ship, and that is it is hard but rewarding. I think. How far in? How long have you been doing this? So I first went self-employed uh, in November last year. Um, that's when um, I finished my training to be an accredited financial coach, and I started um, financial coaching uh, with with different clients. And then it was actually Female Crypto Club is actually a bit more recent. I started in February. And that really just came from, like I said, I was looking all over at different videos, different books, different courses, all these different things. And they were all just run by men, aimed at men. Mm. Um, I just really couldn't find much of a female voice out there, even on podcasts where, you know, they're predominantly female. They had all female guests. 
But when it came to NFTs or cryptocurrency or anything like that, they had men men on mm. to talk about it. And it just felt, yeah, where, where are the women talking mm. about these things um, and sharing their voice as well? Well, yeah, definitely. And it's kind of interesting because it, exactly when I started trying to find a guest, it's exactly that. And I was like, I don't really want to talk to a guy about it. And it's just, you know, women across the board in, in financial things, We, I, every time I share stuff with my audience, it, I feel like all of us have this underlying sense that we aren't as knowledgeable as mm. we could be or as we'd like to be. Um, and, and, yeah, crypto can definitely feel like a, a boys club. As I say, it's something that I've kind of dabbled in for a long time. And the only people I ever have conversations with are, are guys, are, are my male friends. And yeah, so it's interesting. So let's let's go right back to the beginning. What okay. actually is cryptocurrency? How long has it been around? Why is it important? So it first kind of appeared in 2008. Um, there was a white paper, uh, which is basically just a document kind of detailing all the information, uh, came out about Bitcoin, written by this, uh, we don't know if it's a person or a group because their identity is completely anonymous, but uh, known as Satoshi Nakamoto. And it was for um, yeah this, this new kind of digital cash where instead of going through the bank uh, and making a payment that way and having to go through a third party, you basically would be able to cut out the middleman completely and you'd be able to send send this digital currency to other people and receive it. And all the transactions would be stored on this technology, which is called blockchain. Yeah, it's quite wild, isn't it? I, I always try and get my head around the people who can think up this stuff. And the reason, yeah, it's important is because I guess it's taking it outside of a centralised banking system for the first time. Yeah, so um, it's this thing of, I guess, having to put your trust in another uh, corporation or, or third party that we know from, you know, a lot of people have lost trust in these kind of banks and institutions from obviously the financial crash. They see, you know, bankers, you know, making profits, um, making a lot of money, um, and it's not really being distributed fairly. Maybe it could be a way that some people perceive it. It's not being distributed fairly. They may not be acting in our best interest because they're thinking more of profits rather than the people. And so it was basically to try and take the power away from, from these, mm -hmm. having these central um, kind of authority figures. But I guess on the flip side, what people, I guess, also need to consider is although they have that kind of power and that control they are also you know storing our money for us they're keeping it safe um you know they are in charge of processing all the transactions so it's when it comes to cryptocurrency we suddenly at the moment are in charge of storing it ourselves and and doing all these things so it's not you know there's not always good or always bad in all situations like there's there's pros and cons of everything and that's what, for me, is the hard thing to get my head around because find money, normal money, is essentially tied to gold, right? But whereas uh, crypto is tied to an abstract, something abstract. But am I right in saying there is a finite number? There's a finite amount of crypto that could ever be generated. Is that right? Yes. And to go back to your point about yeah. money being tied to gold, it's it's not anymore. So it was 1974, I think, that they took, um, the dollar off the gold standard so there's actually no kind of gold backing to it anymore it's it's kind of I mean this shows how little I know yeah but, so <laughs> it, what what is money yeah but money's kind of then an abstract thing as well isn't yeah it? it's becoming <laughs> a very abstract concept as well but yeah so like you said with with bitcoin there's only ever going to be 21 million so as long as people the idea is that as long as people keep using it the demand is still there for it because there's a fixed a fixed supply if the demand keeps growing then the the price will keep going up and in that way your your money will be gaining value um instead of at the moment we see our money losing value because of inflation and things like that and so originally cryptocurrency kind of existed in in these niche worlds but from what i'm observing is it's increasingly moving into the mainstream you see some big well yeah, you see some big players, the likes of PayPal, etc., getting involved. So what where do you feel like we're at on the journey of cryptocurrency? 
So this is a really, really interesting question and I'm so glad that you asked me. Um, so normally with any new um, product, any new technology, there's this kind of curve of adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you have at the beginning, you have kind of the, the innovators, you know, these are the people who they, you know, they want to be the first to try everything. They, they're the risk takers. They're, as soon as they hear of something new, they, they want to be all over it and, and giving it a go. And then you kind of have, it keeps going on and on in stages. So you have, obviously, once you've got the people who are like the the innovators, um, kind of the influencers, once they've got it out of the way, it then goes towards like the early majority of people who like, once you've kind of seen that it's not this like total risk to get involved, like they'll start getting involved. And then you have the late majority who are, you know, they really, really need hard evidence that other people have taken the risk. It's okay. You know, they, they've seen the benefits and it needs to be really concrete for them before they start taking it on board. And then the last stage is kind of, they're called the laggards. So they're like, you know, you literally, for any new technology product, you have to literally take them like kicking and screaming before mm-hmm. they, they would actually take it on board. And what um, kind of research that I've looked into suggests is that we're at this kind of like early majority stage. So it's it's come out from being like you say a very niche thing uh, where it's just kind of the, the earlier very very early adopters. It's now starting to kind of creep into the mainstream, but it's still so early in the in the curve. There's still quite a long way to go. So yeah, I think what makes people interested is that if it does keep following this curve that the biggest amount of growth happens when obviously that the majority of people mm. come on board so that's what has people interested because if that is the case it, it would be the same thing as if you got into like facebook or amazon or, or google or one of these things before they became this huge company mm. that, that they are now but on the flip side there's also the possibility that something happens and it, it doesn't follow the same route mm. so it's it's um yeah you have to have to weigh it up definitely well i've seen you um describe uh crypto as very emotional yeah what do you mean by that so yeah i i'm really interested in market psychology and things like that um i wanted to actually study psychology at university instead of finance but that's that's another story mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm really really interested in market psychology and the way that people react to the markets um because obviously um the the rational part of people's brains doesn't always kick in when it comes to like making money and and investing and doing all these things so what normally tends to happen is when the market's like right now the market is really low you know we've looked, there's lost a lot of value it's it's gone down a lot and then as soon as people start panic panic selling that leads to more panicking and more and it kind of ends up in this spiral where it just gets pushed down and down and down you see bad news stories there's fear you you didn't really believe in it in the first place so you start panicking that it's Mm. gone down and it's a very very emotional thing but then on the flip side you have you know when things start going up and up and up and up and it's at like all-time high um that's kind of when the greed starts to kick in and people see like oh it's already gone up a thousand percent like what if i get in now and it makes another thousand percent and it's Mm. very uh it's not coming from a a rational place would be to see, oh, it's at the whole, all-time highest price. Like, it's it's very risky right now. Um, there's a chance that it will go down now because people, like, that's the, the highest risk point when it's at the, the mm-hmm. highest price it's ever been. Um, but what tends to happen is, yeah, this, this greed kind of tends to kick in and people all pile in at the top. You know, the good times are there. Everyone's happy. Everyone thinks crypto is going to a million. Um, and... And that's what tends to happen, that these kind of emotions around uh, kind of yeah, money and greed. And it's things that we probably don't like to admit to ourselves mm. um, that, that we would be greedy. But it, it, I've seen it happen like time and time and time mm. again. Yeah. And interestingly, I suppose because and I, this could be wrong, but because you're getting a kind of new generation or a new sector of people who are trading within this space, although there's still the, obviously the big, the big holders, but you're, you're, it's maybe more reactive because it's not necessarily an audience who've been as versed in trading and, and the highs and lows of a market. So I guess it's more subjective. And then we've seen with someone like Elon Musk, who has managed to completely, you know, it's quite a, it's, it's a, 
interesting and, and terrifying and volatile thing to witness when someone can tweet something and it have such a immediate impact on on a market but i i, yeah. I i'm assuming that these these learnings and these things the thought being that these will all settle down in time yeah i think a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on on elon musk and thinking that it should be illegal if you have that much power to be able to move the market prices like you should be able to profit from it um but i think yeah again it comes down to the, the pros and cons of everything again because obviously at the moment one thing that keeps people away from cryptocurrency is the fact that it fluctuates so much and it, it's so you know the price moves around so much but once you know proper regulation comes in and you know the market starts to settle a bit you won't have these same opportunities again mm. where you can take advantage of these price movements so again it's the it's the pros and cons because obviously once regulation comes in it will be much safer you know people will be protected and i think the market needs that for for it to be able to you know go kind of global and for people to really for the mass adoption but yeah it's um there's also so many opportunities now because the prices do move up and down so much that you can get sometimes really good prices um, and be able to get in a lot lower. Mm. So, yeah, I guess it's all about being able to, I guess, knowing what you want out of it and just being able to keep a clear head mm. um, definitely is is really, really important. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've known that from my own experience. So I first um, got involved in like 2017, so a long time mm -hmm. ago, actually, and then forgot about it because it felt like a it felt like nothing was happening. And then suddenly, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, you start watching and we did have some massive highs. And, you know, I, I made a, a, a promise to myself that this was a seriously, seriously long term mm -hmm. um, investment. But you you can't help but get uh you get get giddy either way yeah. and and panic and then trying to keep your finger on the pulse with it but not overcheck and the problem is because i think this the place this has begun to occupy in popular culture you it, things can kind of gather speed can't they and they can feel it can feel quite it can feel very trend driven and yeah, it's a, it's an unusual place to be, and I don't know if that's just because I've tapped into it in the way that I haven't in any other trading, or because yeah, it's it's a bit more zeitgeisty, isn't it? Yeah, I think a lot of things that I've seen is like people kind of see it. Some people, not all people, some people see it as oh, if I can just find that crypto that's gonna you know explode next, uh, then you know like oh, I'll have all this money and all my money issues will be solved and. I'll never have to work again or like you know there's this kind of like yeah. um yeah I don't know what the, the word is like it's kind of providing this like dangling the carrot on the stick mm -hmm. of like oh if you can just pick the right one um but obviously the the odds of that happening are so low and it's more likely that you would end up just losing the money that you put in there so mm -hmm. I think it's yeah like you say it's it, it can be quite tricky to, yeah. to navigate yeah, it's um definitely an interesting thing to experience to uh to ride those emotions and and something mm -hmm. that I hadn't really understood. But if you're if people are listening and thinking, well, I'm kind of interested to have a go in this and and to get involved, what what are the starting points? So I think it's um definitely good to know how it fits around all your other kind of goals, um because obviously if you have other things that you want to achieve. This is my my financial coaching company. Yeah. If you have other things that you want to achieve, for example, you know, you want to buy a house, you want to get married, you want to go traveling, all these other things, then you need to make sure that you know how much you want for those first and you've got that money set aside and that's fine. And then you can see, okay, what have I got left that I could mm -hmm. could invest with that, you know, like we, we've talked about, it's it's unregulated, you're not, you're not protected. It needs to be money that, you really, really do need to think, I know everyone says it, if if I was to lose this all tomorrow, mm. how would I feel about this if, if mm. I did do that? Once you've kind of realised how much you've got, kind of got a thing of how much you're willing to put in there, I think a really good place for beginners to start is really just looking at the top five, even the top ten. Um, so you, there's a website called CoinMarketCap, um, which kind of lists all the coins in order of their, their size. Um, and just start looking into okay what what are these different projects what what do they do um i mean if you're really 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 
I mean, I say risk averse, you know, uh, it's still crypto, it's still risky, but even just start with the top two, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, at least those are projects that have been around for a really, really long time. They're the most established. The further down you go in the list, kind of the more the more risk you're taking on. Mm-hmm. So just be aware of um But yeah, that's definitely a good place to start. You can at least go on CoinMarketCap, look at the, maybe the top five and just see, okay, what are these different projects? What, what do they do? Um, yeah, because it's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking again, as we touched on in the beginning, I think broad strokes but male friends that I know are better at kind of dipping their toe in this world Mm. and because you you might think well I don't know what I'm doing investing isn't for me but I have found it really interesting again from a psychology point of view both of of what culture is doing but what how I react to things and and if you start with an amount of money that yeah that you can cope with losing I mean I always think if you if you lose sleep over losing it don't put it in there because yeah yeah. and and actually what I found is that shifts depending on what is going on in my life there's been times when felt a bit more financially comfortable so x amount of money is okay and then as other demands or the work changes you're like actually I, I can't risk it anymore but um why is it do you think that that females do tend to be resistant to the idea of um, getting into these kind of spaces. Yeah, it's interesting because even with traditional investing, it's seen like a lot lower, like numbers of women that are, are involved and women do naturally tend to be more, more risk averse. I think it comes down to kind of a lot of different things, but I think one thing is definitely like you, you were saying earlier, like most of the conversations that you're having with, kind of people about crypto it's all it's all men and it tends to be that if you have someone you know that's ahead of you that can talk to you about it Mm -hmm. if it's predominantly men who are then talking to their male friends or their sons or their brothers or you know they've already got this kind of network set up where they're all talking about it they're all kind of I don't want to say pushing each other on but kind of Mm -hmm. like they're saying oh you know like why don't you do this and why don't you kind of supporting each other Whereas if you're a woman, you're naturally, you don't want to take as much risk anyway, but you also don't have anyone you can talk to about Mm. it. You don't have anyone that you can, that can show you the way or, yeah, I think it becomes very, very difficult for you then to kind of take the plunge. And I think naturally as women as well, we're a lot harder on ourselves when when things don't pay off. So if you maybe did put a little bit of money in and it it didn't do well or it it went down straight away or or whatever, Mm. you would be then more likely to be very hard on yourself and being like, oh, why did I do that? I made such a bad decision, like and kind of beat yourself up about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely I think the network and the people around you, if you don't have, like I'm still waiting for the day when people say like, oh yeah, my mom, my mom taught me about investing mm. or my mom taught me about this or whoever, if you don't have your mom in your life, your, your sister or your mm. female friends, to be like oh yeah like she taught me about this mm. um until that point I think it's it's gonna get, it's hard it's definitely harder for women to get started it's so true isn't it it's so true um yeah it's just not a conversation you have and I think for me with any of this any financial stuff you have to be okay with asking really dumb questions what feel mm. like really dumb questions because that's in any money education I'm beginning to see that I yeah I don't understand the basics. I, mean, I didn't even know about the gold and the currency. But um, if you don't know that, it feels it feels difficult. And then straight away everything becomes emotional, doesn't it? Because you yeah. feel you feel out of your depth. You feel a bit stupid, and you feel like it's not for you. But yeah, I think I think it's it's a really interesting space. And it, yeah, it does feel like there's there's a journey to go with crypto, whether it's whether we can get to the point where we say it's a surefire bet, I don't know. But there's there are a lot of good indicators, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. If you look at, um, in a talk I did recently, I was talking about all the companies at the moment that are hiring for jobs that either relate to like crypto, blockchain or NFT knowledge. And they're all the, the biggest companies in the world. You're talking like Microsoft, Disney, you know, Google, Amazon, Facebook or Meta now. Um for those kind of companies to be getting involved with the money and the power and the resources that they have behind them, you know, things are going to change. Mm. It just depends in what direction they're going to take. But it's 
definitely things are going to change and be very very different yeah so it's whether it's where you are on the scale of what of how risky you want to be with that so let's try and talk about nfts and the metaverse actually what what do we mean by either of those things <laughs> okay well let's start with nfts yeah. um just a very very simple uh explanation i'll try my best it, it's not the most simple concept but so nft stands for non-fungible token and the way that normally I explain this is by saying what what fungible means first, because not everyone knows what that means. Mm -hmm. So fungible is when you can exchange something like for like. So if I had a pound coin and I went and I spent it in a shop and then um, later I got a different pound coin back, it would always be worth one pound. You know, I could exchange any one pound for any other one pound mm -hmm. and it will always have the same value it will always be the same thing. Whereas non-fungible means that it's, it's completely unique. So if I were to give you a painting and you were to give me a painting back, you know, they wouldn't be the same because it depends on the artist. It depends how rare it is. It depends, um, you know, how many people want to buy it at that time. It, it's got a completely different value. So it's just something that is completely unique. And the way that this works, I'll do my best to explain this mm. simply. So the way that it works is when it's, you have, some kind of digital file. It can be any any digital file. It's normally video, audio, like an image, something like that. You can then create this NFT, which is a token that is stored on a blockchain, which can be used to show that someone is the owner of that particular file. And it's, yeah, it does that. Does that make sense? Shall I try and break it down a little no, bit more? No, I'm just trying to... I, 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 what happens when people have tried to explain this to me? I'm like, I get it, I get it, I get it. And then you're like, oh, no, I've, I've <laughs> it. The, the fungible and non-fungible is really useful. So then, okay. yeah, so I've got a video, a piece of digital something, a, yeah. a, a digital entity, a meme. Would you, Could you do a meme? That would a be... meme, yes, yes, classic. <laughs> okay, so you've got a meme and... I, I then own that meme. How, how yeah. do you even go about owning a meme? So basically what happens is you will, when you buy the, the, the NFT, you, it will then, that transaction will then be recorded on a blockchain, which is available for anyone to view anywhere in the world that will show, okay, Clemmy bought this, this, uh, right, that this ownership to this meme, this time, this price, and anyone can view that, and everyone will know that you are the owner. Right. And the thought being that maybe if if I buy what ends up being an iconic meme, that in five years' time I bought it for a fiver and it's now worth five hundred pounds. Yes. But it still then come or five hundred. Does that link to crypto or does it link to like how do we know what his value is? So yeah, this is, I think that the biggest debate <laughs> of all time is like, what gives an NFT its value? I think it, it kind of can be broken into like a few different things. Um, one thing is sometimes when you buy an NFT, you will get certain things that you can use it for. So for example, if you, I'll use Gary V as an example, he's created an NFT collection and if you own one of his NFTs, you can attend, he creates events. So you can attend the events that he organizes and you can only access them if you hold one of his NFTs. Right. And for some people that will hold a lot of value because they'll think, oh, I really want to be involved in that community. I really want to go to those events and you can't buy a ticket elsewhere. So for them, the value is whatever they see as, you know, uh, what they would pay to, to be able to have access to those kind of events. Um, so that's one thing you can look for, like what do you actually get involved with and yeah. what do you have access to? Um, there's another one, uh, Board 8 Yacht Club, which is like a really, really famous one. Um, they have, again, like all the NFT holders, they can access events and, and things. And a lot of celebrities hold uh, those NFTs. So if you're someone who loves celebrities, uh, wants to have a chance to meet meet some of them, you might see the value of that as really high because mm. you think, oh, wow, I can hang around with these people that I would never, ever be able to hang around with in my normal life. So that's one thing. But yeah, it it also comes down to, I guess, your, your beliefs as well. Like there's some projects where they create NFTs to fund things like 
um, there's one called um, World of Women mm-hmm. and their NFTs is basically to support um, like diversity and inclusion uh, in crypto. So obviously if you're buying that, you're, it's like, you know, when people say you vote with your money. Mm. So you kind of, you're then saying, okay, I support their projects. I want crypto to be more diverse and more mm-hmm. inclusive. I want more women to be shown. Um, so there's obviously a price that you, you would put on that as well. But obviously, at the end of the day, with all these things, it comes down to the amount of people that want to buy it and the amount Mm. that are available to sell. The same basic Mm. economics that comes up again and again and again. Yeah, okay. I almost understand it. So in that sense, it's kind of like sometimes it's like a members club and there's a finite number of membership and then the more people want to join it, the the more those membership slots go up. Yeah, that's one way that it, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, so but it's the same thing. It's kind of like the collective power. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's kind of absolutely blows my mind. But I <laughs> I, I almost get it. It's it's just for us trying to. It almost makes the intangible digital stuff have a have a physical value, but it's yeah really hard to comprehend but I'm sure in five years you'll be like no why did you find that incomprehensible but it's it's a lack of physicality I think yeah it is it is a hard concept to grasp I think sometimes but I think one thing that maybe I can explain that might help a little bit Mm -hmm. is because you know a lot of people say especially with like the memes or the artwork like oh I can just right click download it save it to my computer I've got the same image like why Mm. why would I want to pay for that and I think basically you have to t- understand two different things of human nature, which are exclusivity and status. So it's mm. the same way that you could say to someone, I, I, why are you buying a Ferrari when you could buy a Corsa? Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're both a car, they'll both get you from A to B. Um, you know, what's the point? And it's because you want the Ferrari to show, you know, I have the status and the power and the money to do this. And mm-hmm. I can show everyone that I have that by buying a Ferrari and driving it around. The same way that if you were to buy a really expensive NFT artwork and put it as your profile picture on Twitter and all those things you're showing, I have the money to do this. I'm part of an exclusive club. You know, this is I have status. I have these things. Um, and, you know, it's down to this human nature of everyone wants to be part of the inner circle and, and, and these mm. kind of things. So, yeah. But what I don't understand to use that that profile picture thing, exactly as you say, if I've got a, a an nft of an artwork and i can get you know it's the difference between having one of the million prints of a van gogh painting versus having the van gogh but in the profile picture how does anyone know which you're seeing how do i know that thing is is the the high status one so twitter have basically come up with um you basically have to verify that you are the owner um, of that NFT before you can put it as your profile picture. So it's not that, um, you know, any, everyone could just have the same uh, yeah. picture and just put it up and just be like, oh, yeah, this is mine. Uh, you actually have to verify it first that you have you are the owner of it. Because that's a bit that I don't understand as well, because often with status symbols, they're very, it's display orientated, isn't it? Yeah. It is turning up in the car, having the handbag. And I can't quite understand the displaying of this, but again, I guess this is quite in its infancy, isn't it? Yeah. I think another thing as well is, for example, like that world of women uh, NFTs that I was talking about, if you were someone who really wanted to show, you know, I support women, I do this, I'm helping crypto be a more diverse and inclusive space, you could then buy one of those NFTs, put it as your profile picture, and people would know that about you by seeing that without you having to, you know, go around, talk about it all the time and, yeah. and those kind of things, yeah. Yeah, it, okay, it does make sense. It, it's, yeah, it, it's it's displays of something but that remain in a digital space. Yeah. I, guess I it, think... Yeah, go on. I was just going to expand and say, I think a lot of focus is put on kind of artwork because that's I think the one that most people are, are can understand kind of understand but there yeah. are so many more things that you can do with them it's basically any digital file that is unique so for example ticketing there's always been so many issues you know with the ticket industry in terms of like do you know whether a ticket is authentic do you mm-hmm. uh, people reselling them for profit 
um, you know, like scalpers outside venues and yeah. all those kind of things. Whereas if you were to create NFTs of tickets, each one would be unique. Each one would be able to be authenticated. If there was, if it was resold on, uh, the person who created them would be able to put limits on how much the ticket would be able to be sold for. So I think if you expand it outside just artwork, there mm. are a lot of ways that it can really be utilized to help solve a lot of problems that we have now. Yes. Yeah, so it's like digital security, really, isn't it? So then how does, so can anyone create an NFT? Anyone, as long as you have a bit of money, because you have to pay fees uh, when right. you create it. Right. Um, but it doesn't have to be a lot. Um, yeah, so pretty much anyone can. Um, there's lots of different routes you can go about it. If you want to, it depends how good you are at creating digital files. If you are already an artist, obviously you can create your collection and go away. Uh, if you are not, then either you create a really kind of crude artwork file that's quite basic um, or you can pay someone to do it for you. I've seen, um, do you know the website Fiverr? Mm -hmm. There's like, you can get freelance jobs and stuff. I've seen lots of different people put up that they'll create like a 10,000 NFT collection for you for like 4,000 pounds. Um, so yeah, there's the opportunities out there. So it's kind of strays into trademarking really, doesn't it? Is it? Is it a bit like that? Like that you can't, mm. oh, is that a completely different read of it? But it's like once you've made something and you've marked it out of yours, then no, yeah, then no one else c can go and just mimic that, I suppose. Oh, it's... That's actually a really, really, really interesting point because this is something that at the moment, because it is such an unregulated space, there's a lot of issues or like legal kind of grey areas mm. of, yeah there needs to be more laws in place to protect from things like if I were to for example take an image of Winnie the Pooh off the internet and try and create an NFT for that I'm obviously breaking the law because I'm not Disney I don't own the rights to it um, so I think there is still a lot of work that needs to be done mm. to make sure to protect people protect their you know their, their IP and make sure that the person who's actually created the NFT has the rights to be able to do that yeah and again, it's that same thing for me when I think of NFTs, I think of the same adopters as of the people who queue outside the Supreme store to buy a T-shirt. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. they're the, again, the people that I'm hearing and making that. But it's important to remember things like these women who are trying to yeah, diverse, diver, diversify that it can be in different ways. So it just again, it's how this begins to flex. But you've it does make sense to me that given the digital landscape that that this that there needs to be equity attached to digital things yeah yeah I think the way that I kind of see it going more in the future is like for example with companies um I've seen recently like uh you know uh the makeup brand like Clinique mm -hmm. um they did um they ran a competition on their Instagram and they gave like NFTs away as like the prizes so it's kind of they use it as kind of a marketing Thing to get people involved and then um who else also oh, taco bell was mm -hmm. another one they created some taco themed gifts and then um sold those as nfts and they used the profits from that to support a scholarship um that they fund so it was kind of again mm. a mix of like marketing but also being able to support a charity mm -hmm. and it's all good for their brand isn't it when you see they're using the money to support um a scholarship so yeah there's definitely lots of different things that can be done with it it's just yeah I guess people first need to understand it and then as when brands kind of start taking it on it, it, I think it's going to be really interesting where it's going to go mm, yeah it is interesting it is interesting and I'm just going to try and lean into understanding it a bit more I know what happened then my kids who are still young but they, then they just understand these things it's like yeah oh, why is my mind not able to compute these things but it's there are things, yeah, I, I begin to understand it. And then lastly, the metaverse. What yes. do we mean by that? So the metaverse is basically, um, there's no one metaverse, but right. a metaverse is um, basically a virtual world which is focused on social connection and, and interaction. And it's basically, so you know at the moment, like the internet has always been a very 2D experience. Like you go on your laptop, you see it on your screen. Um, it's kind of this very 2D, you read it on the screen. 
Whereas with the metaverse, it's it's more about this like 3D immersive, um, you know, you you can access it by, you know, the the virtual reality mm-hmm. headsets and everything is is all around you. It's um you're completely immersed in it, everything's 3D, you have your avatar that you move around in this virtual world, and it's it's basically the next way to experience the internet. So mm-hmm. we've we've gone from having social media and interacting with people that way to then the metaverse where you'll be able to you know like run into people in the virtual world and and interact with them and yeah it's very again very interesting because I've had a lot of talks and a lot of discussions about you know the online and the offline world Mm. like what's this going to do for like blurring our kind of reality Mm -hmm. and uh the amount of time that we spend online and yeah there's there's so many different other conversations that we could have from this but yeah, basically, in a nutshell, it's, it's a virtual 3D world focused on social connection. Right. So my best understanding of that is within gaming at the moment, I suppose. I see, again, my kids doing yeah. it with Roblox. And my I mean, it blows my mind. My sons are both on on Roblox and they're mm-hmm. running around. They, they're, though they're, they're sitting next to each other on the sofa and then they, they are hanging out <laughs> together wherever they go. I'm like, guys, you're together all the time, especially during lockdown. What and then you still choose to like go side by side through these digital worlds, but and I've seen them do it with their friends. You know, they yeah. come over and they it, it, it's so innate to them that of course they will will interact like that. Whereas I don't think beyond social, which as you say is two D, and I definitely can understand having online friends. I'm I'm yet really myself to have that first hand experience of meeting someone in a digital world. I think. Yeah, I think there's definitely, like you mentioned, like your kids playing on like Roblox and these kind of things. I think there's definitely this thing of how are we going to keep everyone safe mm. in the metaverse? Because obviously in the physical world, if you're just walking around, um, I mean, obviously you still have to protect yourself and look out for like who's around you. But the, by going into the metaverse and having access to pretty much anyone else who's on the internet as well, how are you then going to protect people in that space and be able to say, so that all these people don't have access to you if you don't want them to. And yeah, I think it's definitely a very tricky area that, that's going to need a lot of focus to make sure that everyone stays safe while, yeah. while they're using it. Yeah, it, it's it, and it and it's difficult especially I mean it's a whole different chat and I have previously done podcasts on digital security for kids Mm -hmm. because they haven't learned the things that we've learned about how we interact in the world but yeah so the metaverse I understand that Uh, yeah and then then you see where all these things begin to plug into each other because if you're existing even in part of your life in a metaverse and of course digital currency is more prevalent and you can see where yeah definitely nfts come into their own in those kind of spaces yeah i am um, there's normally at the end of my talks i give this little summary where i try and kind of tie everything in all together so i always say that um so in touch to try and link like the five most popular kind of concepts of kind of crypto and everything together mm-hmm. so you have so web 3.0, which I know is another word that is thrown around all the time. So that is basically a decentralized internet. So an internet that is basically built on blockchain. And instead of, you know, like big, the same way that digital currency is taking the power away from banks, this is taking the power away from big social giants like Facebook and Google that are taking all our money from using our data and allowing users to get rewarded for for their data instead if they choose to share it. Um, So you have that. So that is the internet itself. If you go one layer on, you've got the metaverse, which is the way that we experience that internet. So the way that we interact with it, the way that we experience it through whatever it is, 3D, um, you know, the immersive world. And then, like you say, you go a layer down, you've got the NFTs, which are so basically being able to own a piece of that internet. So being able to own maybe an in-game item, being able to purchase virtual fashion, uh, you know, virtual tickets to a virtual event, it's being able to own a piece of that internet and then be able to buy buy and sell it as well. Then when you go a layer down, you've got cryptocurrency, which is the digital currency that you will use to be able to buy the NFTs or, or pay for things in that virtual world. And then the fifth layer is kind of 
blockchain, which is the technology that allows all of those things to be possible. Yeah, sorry, that was a lot of information. No, no, it's Hopefully brilliant. Hopefully that helped. It's a brilliant summation. And it, as I said earlier, I kind of I kind of get it. I almost get it. And then I was like, this is absolutely mind-blowing. And there's a little part of me that wants to go, oh, my word, stop this. Stop this happening. But it, but that's not realistic. <laughs> that is where we're going. And, and then another part of me is really, really excited and interested by it mm. and, you know, innovation and changes and decentralizing things is is very exciting but it's a lot isn't it what I have learned though again drawing reference from other podcasts I did one on gaming Mm -hmm. um where it's easy to go oh this isn't my world I don't understand it I'm out yeah but but and that's absolutely fine but also you can kind of begin to chip away a bit and begin to understand it and and find that maybe there's more to it and stuff that might interest you and I think it I think it's important that we try and understand this yeah definitely I think um yeah it's going to be something that impacts a lot of people um even gave a talk the other day about how the metaverse is basically going to change the way that we work so for example people that you know at the moment they work in a physical office and they split their time between a physical office and home it will then you know get to the point where maybe you're splitting your time between a physical office and a, and a metaverse office an online office and like all the things that, that come with that so it might be the case that even if you think oh this is not for me this isn't this is not my thing it might be the case that you may have to learn to adapt anyway mm. because of these kind of changes that, that are coming mm. what are the potential negatives of nfts so yeah this is definitely something that in the news has been all all over because Obviously, um, the environment and everything is such a hot topic right now. And basically, the environmental impact, it all comes down to the way that new transactions are added to the blockchain. So obviously, every time that you create an NFT, that transaction is then added to the blockchain. And any time that any transaction is added to the blockchain, it uses power. So that's where the environmental impact comes down to. And there's without getting, I'm not going to go into it in too much detail because mm. it's not necessary, but there's basically two, at the moment, two main ways that transactions are added to blockchains. So one is called proof of work and one is called proof of stake. And the proof of work um, is the one that uh, kind of Bitcoin is based off. And it's this very energy intensive solve algorithms and kind of compete to, to be the one that adds the new transaction to the blockchain. Those are the ones that are very, very energy intensive. Those are the ones that I know Europe, they were having a debate to see whether these proof of work blockchain should be banned because of the environmental impact that they have. And at the moment, most NFTs are created on the Ethereum blockchain, which at the moment has a proof of work model. And this is where a lot of the concern around the environment comes from, because aside from just creating them, there's also an environmental impact even for someone to so for you to create them for there to be a sale for that someone to place a bid on an nft that's also requires power um when the, the transfer of ownership actually takes place as well like every single time a transaction happens it will use power and therefore have an have an effect on the environment so to give you kind of an idea of what the kind of environmental impact is in terms of numbers Um, So just to create an NFT, um, it's about 100 kilograms of CO2, which is the same as a one to two hour flight. So obviously, if you've got things, you know, lots of uh, NFTs being created, if you've got a set of maybe 100, 1000, 10,000, it can easily add up. Um, So yeah, obviously, that's really important to kind of consider. Um, I think especially if you have more bids, more sales, you know, it's just the impact is going up and up and up. But on the flip side of that, I will add that um, the other way of adding transactions called proof of stake, which is what I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, from some research that I read, it said that by doing this on a proof of stake blockchain instead of proof of work, it reduces the energy needed by 99.95% which is obviously a big, 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 big amount. And at the moment, Ethereum is in the process of switching to a proof of stake model. 
So I think there's definitely a kind of potential for the impact to become a lot less. And there are things that you can do as well to try and offset uh, the impact that you're having. So for example, if you're someone that wants to create NFTs, only do it if you are sure that you're going to use it. Like don't just create NFTs just for the sake of them, just to be like, oh yeah, I, like let's just have a go, let's just see. Because then that's kind of a, a power and environmental impact but for no reason. Mm. And the other thing you can do the same way with a flight, you know, you can buy like carbon credits, you can offset the um, carbon that was released during your flight. You can do a similar thing with NFTs. You can donate um, part of your profits to like a carbon credit offset scheme. But yeah, the main thing that will make a difference is once Ethereum moves this proof of stake model, then the energy uh, sh like requirements should drop by 99.95%. Mm. So that will obviously definitely help. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is definitely something to consider. I mean, great question. Thanks, Steve. Um, if I thought I comprehended it 10 minutes ago, I now I'm like, okay, this is, yeah, it, it, it's it's colossal and complex in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Your answer was great. Thank you. Oh, my word. Yeah, I hadn't really, it's, it's so hard to in my mind tie together real world implications of these digital mm. things yeah <laughs> definitely yeah mine just exploded to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> sorry i hope i didn't no you uh, did a yeah, great job <laughs> great job it's just it's just a lot to try and unpick isn't it mm. yeah i mm. think but the other thing i think to consider maybe less with nfts maybe more to do with crypto. Um, there's also, if you look at our current kind of money and banking system, you know, that is not environmentally friendly either, but we still use that. Mm. Um, you know, every single time someone pays for something on a, on a Visa card or an Amex, um, you know, that requires energy, that requires electricity to be able to process that transaction. So yeah, it, it's something that needs to be changed, not just in crypto like, specifically, but in, in everything. Mm for the way that we use and spend our money, uh, regardless of whether that's, uh, you know, pounds or, or Bitcoin, it, it's something that needs to be looked at as a whole, yeah, definitely. That, that's a very fair conclusion. Well, I think you're doing something brilliant. And thank you for kind of having your, the patience to like talk through bit by bit. How, how have you learned all this just by being interested in it? Yeah, so I um, first got involved in cryptocurrencies actually one year after you uh, in 2018. And I was actually at a course um, about actually investing in stocks, about stocks and kind of stock trading, because that was just something that I was really interested in. And they gave a talk for literally, I think, five or 10 minutes at the end about, about cryptos, kind of just very brief um, kind of introduction to them. And I just, I don't know what it was, something just clicked in my brain that wow like the impact that this could have the mm. problems that this could solve um yeah it just something just really really clicked for me and i just thought like i have to I have to learn more i have to find out more and obviously as you know with some of these courses they were selling another course at the end and it was in the in the thousands and i've never spent that kind of money on a course before that and i just i was with my mom at the time and i just said to her i was like we have to do this, mm, this like, is the one. I, I don't know why I just something inside me said I have to find out more about this I have to learn about it um and then yeah it's just been literally through doing courses um through kind of reading books watching like listening to podcasts watching videos I've just picked it's up good. and learned as much as much as I possibly can and yeah it's been it's really fascinating I yeah I think I mean you've touched on it as well both of us you end up being fascinated I think people can sometimes forget that money and trading is is about human psychology as well you know that that's and that for me is the bit that's really interesting apart from anything to see what catches on where people's yeah who adopts when what what makes things fluctuate but you're doing a great job and um, yeah as I say I'm really grateful to have you here and keep following your instincts because it sounds like you're yeah you're on a very exciting journey <laughs> along with the rest yeah. of us I suppose yeah no thank you I think yeah like I said in the beginning it's just really really important to me that more women are talking about these kind of things and more people hear women talking about these kind of things and yeah like not to take anything away from the men they're all doing yeah. a great job as well but just 
yeah, it's always been my thing. Even when I went into finance, um, first out of uni, always worked with a lot of men. It's always been very male dominated, but I just never, ever wanted to let that stop me um, from doing anything. I just, yeah, women, yeah, we, we can do anything. So, yeah, I just yeah. want more people to be able to learn and understand and be able to get involved if that's what they want. Well, I think if ever before it made it very clear that people should come and find you to try and learn about this please could you answer two final questions number one Mm -hmm. where can people find you yes so you can find me at the moment on instagram i'm at female crypto club Um, i'm also on linkedin uh like not at but tanisha crow you can find me on there um, if you want me to do any talks crypto related talks you can also email me at tanisha at femalecryptoclub.com Oh, good, good pitch. I, th- I feel like you're going to be in hot demand in the year. <laughs> and then a final kind of offbeat question. If you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Oh, that is a good question. I think recently I have been completely following this story. Um, I don't know if anybody listening has followed it, but basically one of the cryptos very, very prominent crypto. It was in like the top 10. It recently lost like 99.99% of its value. And to be honest, I've been following the story day and night because it's just absolutely fascinated me. I would love to talk to the CEO, Do Kwon, and just see like, are you, was he legitimate? Was this a real thing? Was it all a scam from the beginning? I just, yeah, that's, it's on my mind at the moment because just because I've been following that yeah. story so, so closely, I'd just love to know what was going on inside his head. So what was that currency called? It's called Luna. And it's just, it's just like evaporated. So I think less than three weeks ago, it was worth $120 and now it's worth not point no, 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 not one. Just plummeted. Um, absolutely plummeted. Um, all caused by, yeah, they, I won't go into too much detail because yeah. there's a lot of complicated, like, topics but yeah it's um he had basically a coin that was meant to always be one dollar right. value all the time and the way that this was done was through an algorithm and they had this like method to kind of keep the value at one dollar and it just completely lost its one dollar peg um people started pulling their money out it's yeah if we had another like hour to talk about it yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd explain it all but it's just really fascinated me because I think it's the first time in crypto that we've seen such a well-respected top 10 coin completely lose Mm. all of its value. And I think it's just really shaken a lot of people and a lot of the community. And yeah, I've just been fascinated by it. But those kind of incidents are actually the ones that end up shaping the market as a whole. Like when you need, you need the kind of extremities for this to to level itself out I'm going to go and geek up on that as well well thank you so much Tanishi I found I feel like I might end up listening to this episode a few times myself until I my brain can actually comprehend (laughs) what you've talked about but it's been so useful and I think you're doing really brilliant and valuable work thank you thank you so much for having me Uh, it's been amazing to have this conversation yeah it's been fun uh, well, that was a um, whistle stops tour of concepts that, that, as I made very clear, absolutely blew my mind. Steve and I, off mic, were just saying that as a, as a generation, we straddle a very interesting and sometimes difficult place because our kids are going to just understand this. Our parents or the our parents' generation just don't need to kind of worry, and we have a go at understanding, but increasingly don't understand. But, but I can't even be comfortable with that because I do want to know because I do want to know what's going on and I am interested in it so I am going to try and do some more reading I am going to, as I said in the interview I am going to go back and listen to this I hope that was very helpful do go and check out Tanisha's page because she does unpick all this stuff and from what I can understand she'd be really up for yeah, trying to share any knowledge that she has so it was, it was a, a really good but um aging episode i definitely feel my 40 years and that's a wrap that's another episode of but why done i'm really grateful to have you here i'm going to do an absolute shameless plug to say if you listened and you found this useful please could you go and rate and review it on whatever platform it is that you listen because it makes a huge difference and hopefully gets this this um, podcast listened to by more people also share the episodes online let's try and educate one another on this stuff 
join me next week for more chats i am off to deliberate about my work surface you might have seen it on instagram we're having our kitchen done need a new work surface can't decide between one which is quite out there and one that is very pared back um and me being me i'm gonna go back and forth on that for quite some time and irritate anyone who wants to listen to me talk about it so yeah learning about nfts and trying to pick a kitchen work surface that's what my day has got in store i hope you have a good one and catch you next week bye bye